Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks for joining us here for episode 604 with Kathy Caprino. Kathy has zeroed in on a few key power gaps that can be limiting your career. So you'll learn one, the seven most common barriers to career success. Two, an easy way to start advocating for yourself more. And three, the one habit that drastically minimizes your presence. So if you want to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to items we've referenced, drop on by awesomeatyourjob.com slash EP604. Now, here's Kathy's story. Kathy Caprino is a career and executive coach, author, speaker, and leadership trainer dedicated to the advancement of women in business. But gentlemen, she's got plenty of good stuff for us, too. She's a former VP and trained coach and marriage and family therapist, a senior Forbes contributor, and offers career consulting, executive and leadership and communications, coaching and training, as well as keynotes and workshops. She's also the founder and president of her own coaching and consulting firm, Kathy Caprino, LLC, as well as the host of the podcast, Finding Brave. Big thanks to Kathy for sharing her wisdom with us. And big thanks to our sponsors. Check them out. One sponsor to check out is LinkedIn Jobs. Did you know that you can post a job for free at linkedin.com slash be awesome? And with a fresh year, perhaps you're like many small business owners looking for some fresh insight and talent to make 2024 extra amazing. Well, LinkedIn Jobs has created tremendous tools to help you find the right professionals for your team faster and free. I love how they make it so easy with their promotion and selection tools. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. No, no, no. LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. Here's some fun facts. 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. And small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash be awesome. That's linkedin.com slash B-E-A-W-E-S-O-M-E, as in you are being awesome, be awesome, to post your job for free. Terms and conditions do apply. Now, here's Kathy. Kathy, thanks for joining us here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. I'm so happy to be here, Pete. Thank you for having me. Well, I'm, I'm happy to have you. And uh, I'm excited to talk about Bravery Boosting Paths to Career Bliss, subtitle of The Most Powerful You. It's a bit of a mouthful, but it's important. It's a, it's a fun one to say. Well, how about you, you kick us off with, a, with an inspiring story of a professional who it felt like they did some bravery boosting and then they uh, they did some stuff and they saw some cool results flow from it. Can I make it my story for two minutes? Let's do it. Okay. The hard thing is to keep it short, but I'll try. 18-year corporate career, successful on the outside, not successful on the inside. And I faced bumps, bumps, bumps. And when I hit 40, they were full-blown crises. Sexual harassment, gender discrimination, toxic bosses, Actually, narcissistic bosses, toxic colleagues, zero work-life balance, chronic illness. I had infections of the trachea every three months for four years. It was a mess, Pete, really. And I know a lot about this now because this is my work, but it wasn't back then. And I didn't know what hit me. And I thought I was to blame. It was a mess. So I didn't really move forward. I didn't move forward at all to change career. The last BP job literally I swear, I felt like it almost killed me. And instead of doing the right thing, which was to pivot or leave, I didn't. And 
one month after buying a kind of bigger house and more financial responsibilities was 9-11 and one month after I was laid off. So talking about bravery and power, for 18 years I didn't have it. And there's reasons for that, you know, which we'll talk about why a lot of people don't have the bravery and power they need to change things. But often human beings need a breakdown. They just have to collapse into a heap. It's got to be a breakdown moment. And that's what I had. And, you know, there's a story in the book, but I'm sitting in my therapist's office crying because I knew I could never return to that life, but I didn't know what to do. And he said, I know from where you sit, it's the worst crisis you've ever faced. But from where I sit, it's the first moment you can choose who you want to be in the world. Now, who do you want to be? And now I know why I didn't have an answer. I went, I want to be you. That's all. That's all I knew. And he said, what's that mean? And I said, I want to help people, not hurt people and be hurt. So flash forward, I became a marriage and family therapist. And that wasn't the end destination. And as we know, you know, a lot of times we think, yay, we've made it. We're done. I wasn't done at all. That wasn't the final thing. And then I became a career coach for professional women. So that's what I've been doing for the past 15 years. And, you know, there are stories in the book, seven different ones of clients and course members that have closed these seven power gaps that we're going to talk about. From, I don't know how to speak up, to, I can't say stop to the mistreatment I'm facing, to, I can't even figure out what I want to ask for, let alone think I deserve it. So there's really riveting stories of real life people that have faced these seven gaps and overcome them. And in every case, it's incredibly inspiring because if we have these gaps, Pete, and 98% of the women I interviewed, I surveyed, 98% have one of these and over 75% have three or more. When you have these, you cannot thrive at the highest level in your work or your life. That's powerful. Thank you. And, you know, our, and our audience is, is mostly women, but as I peruse these gaps, I mean, they're certainly not exclusive to women. They're not, but I got to say, Pete, I think men do experience them. They say, write a book for me, for goodness sake, but they don't internalize them and process them in the same way. Gotcha. They don't. And I think I know why that is. Talk about that later. You know what? I've, I've, you got me so intrigued, Kathy. Bring it. What, what's going on? So what we have to know, and you know, I mentioned this a lot. A few people have said, are you blaming the victim here? And the whole point is to rise people out of victimhood, to let them take control of what they can control. But the reason, one of the reasons women have these gaps, and I'm not trying to paint every woman with the same brush or every man, But it's this, we live in a patriarchal world. This is not to bash men. This is just to look to the system we live in. And in a patriarchal world, we split ourselves in half. We talk about the masculine, in quotes, and the feminine. The masculine is strong, dominant, not vulnerable, not emotional, gets it done, assertive, makes it happen. The feminine is soft, malleable, pleasing, accommodating, emotional. Well, The reality is when you grow up in a world that that is what is expected of your gender, most people live up to that. And it really starts early on. It starts, the research shows that before age 13, girls and boys are really on par in how they feel about themselves as leaders and interest in STEM, raising their hand to share their thoughts. And at age about 13, girls start to go underground and it stays there. So all of these gaps... I feel are hitting women harder than men because we're conditioned and trained that they should be, that we should be 
not speaking up powerfully, not asking for what we deserve, all of that. I, I hear you. Well, well, how about we maybe take one or two minutes to just hear the list of, of the seven gaps, and then we'll dig deeper into a couple of them, shall we? I love it. And I'm going to give you the number, the percent of the over 1,000 women who said yes. Oh, I love data. Thank you, Kathy. Data. Yeah. Can I tell you, I'm not making this up, right? This is from 15 years of work, thousands of people I've worked with. All right. Gap number one, not recognizing your special talents, abilities, and accomplishments. 63% said yes or maybe. There's this underpinning of this, which is, I don't even know what I'm great at. And even if I did, I don't want to say I'm great. Okay. Okay. Number two, communicating from fear, not strength. 70%. It means you weaken your message, you soften it, you apologize, you start your important messages with, I don't know if this is smart, or you are communicating not from strength. Number three, reluctance to ask for what you deserve, 77%. I'm not sure I deserve more, and even if I do, I don't know how to ask for it, is what they say, you know, in some way or another. Number four is isolating from influential support, 71%. What this means is I hate networking and I'm very uncomfortable networking higher, networking up to influential people. Number five is acquiescing instead of saying stop to mistreatment. And by mistreatment, I mean everything we know, harassment, gender bias, racial discrimination. It's I'm afraid to challenge the mistreatment I'm facing and that I see around me. And interestingly, 48% that's not as high as other numbers, say it. Frankly, after I get talking to women, every one of them, do do you know the research shows that eight out of 10 women are going to be sexually harassed in their careers and four out of 10 feel they've experienced gender bias. So I think that number is too low because we don't really recognize what we're in. Number six is losing sight of your thrilling dream for your life. And that is 76%. And what that means is, I have no idea what I want to do for a career. I'm not meant for an amazing career. And I bailed on the dream I once had for myself. Number seven is allowing the past or past trauma, which is a word that therapists throw around a little more easily than non-therapists, allowing the past to define you still. And that is 62%. And, you know, interestingly, so I've worked with thousands of people around the world Almost all of them are being impacted by something that happened in the past, but they don't know they're being impacted by it. So it's only when I'm looking at their career path assessment, which is 11 pages of questions I wish someone had asked me 30 years ago. And if I'd answered them, honestly, I wouldn't have made some of the mistakes I made. When I see their answers, I can sense there's something more here. Something happened. Something happened in childhood. Something happened. And then they'll sometimes mention it. And sometimes it's in the first call, I'll say, I'm really sensing something. Could it be this? If you were raised for, I love to say this, you are what your childhood taught you to be, unless you unlearned it. And for so many, Pete, including me, the messages I got, while they might have been coming from love and well-being, I mean, wanting us to have well-being, they got in in the wrong way. Okay. Well, well, thanks for giving us the, the rundown there. Well, I guess the percentages are somewhat similar when, when we bring up the, the low one to what we think the true number may be. So maybe could you share, you know, what do you think is perhaps the most debilitating in terms of finding career bliss and, uh, and excelling? 
you know, boy, th- this one really seems to pack an outsized punch for killing the bliss. I have to say it's number one where if you, I really love to talk about this because women are so tied up around this. If you cannot see how you are special and there's, you know, tips and strategies all over the place. My TEDx talk talks about it. If you can't see how you are different and how you are better than the competition, whether that's, you know, I'm an HR director or I'm an entrepreneur, if you can't see how you're special, then you can't leverage it because you don't even know you have it. And part of that is talking about it. So if someone says to me, and I use this example a lot, Kathy, why should I hire you? There's a lot of coaches. I rattle off four facts. Facts. They're facts. So I call this the process of 20 facts of you. Listen to this podcast and this weekend, pull out a pad of paper and for an hour, sit with yourself, no distractions, and write down everything you've accomplished that you are darn proud of, everything. And then I want you to kind of embrace how that was made possible through who you are, your ancestry, your cultural training, your interests, your passions, your failures, your miserable flops, your relationships, everything that's made you, you, what are the 20 facts of you? And when you can say that, can I give one example? Would you mind? If someone says, why should I hire you? And this is not a sales pitch. This is for people to understand what I'm saying. Number one, I say, I had an 18 year corporate career. I know the challenges mid to high level professional women face. Number two, I'm a trained therapist. So I go deeper. I'm not just gonna talk about your interviewing and your LinkedIn profile. I'm gonna go deep, deep, deep. Number three, I focused on professional women's challenges and written the book, two books on it. And I, honest to goodness, think I probably know women's challenges, professional women's challenge better than most people on the planet. That's not a fact, but it's close to it. Number four, I'm an entrepreneur and I'm kind of in that arena of what it is to be brave and powerful. It's not just me in my jammies, not needing to be out there and run a business. It's me speaking from, and I have my own podcast and I'm speaking to amazing folks making a difference in a brave way. So the question I have for people is, do you think that sounds like I'm bragging? Well, especially not with, if you're asked, (laughs) you know, it's sort of like you've asked me a question and here is your answer and it's a darn good one. Well, thank you for that. But does it smack to you of, oh, she thinks highly of herself. Well, no, it it doesn't. And I I suppose, I guess it's all about the context. You know, if I said, oh, let's say if I met you at a cocktail party, it's like, oh, hey, Kathy, uh, tell me about yourself. It's like, well, (laughs) and then you went there. (laughs) Do you have an hour? (laughs) I, I would say, okay. She's a narcissist. I don't know. I, that's not quite what I was going for. So so that'd be a little off-putting in that context, but in a, in a normal context in terms of, hey, what are you all about? Or an interview or a performance review or, hey, let's have a conversation about which teammates should fill which roles. I was like, yeah, these are facts I want and need to know right now. Thank you. But the way you said it, Pete, is so interesting. I want, if you don't mind, go and ask five women in your life to do it. They can't. It's heartbreaking. I don't know. I think I'm, I'm kind of good at maybe analyzing, you know, systems. It's like that. Or I don't know. I don't know that I'd say I'm great, but I really listen well. I'm like, no, I don't mean that. And, you know, when I look at people on LinkedIn and I got a big following there, I'm on it constantly. I love it. I can tell in five minutes what is holding someone back from a great career by looking at their LinkedIn profile. 
Their headline is their job title. That's not your headline. That's not it. Or their summary is one sentence. Or they have the jobs listed, but no bullets. Or they don't share any thought leadership. They don't share content that's interesting to them. They're hiding or they're confused. So while it seems kind of straightforward to you, I think you're going to be shocked if you ask five women in your life, tell me what makes you great at work. You'll let me know if I'm wrong, but they pretty much can't answer it. Well, well, that, that, that hits hard. Thank you for sharing. And, and I think that's a, that's a brilliant technique to get those 20 facts. And then once you've got them, they're there. You know, they're, they're top of mind, ready to go. Serve it up. That's it. Weave it. We, I don't mean you're, you know, you're talking about your HR thing and you're weaving into, you know, the story. By the way, I'm this. But use that. When we talk about networking, which is another thing women, especially introverts, you know, it's so hard for them. And here's a little tip. When you hate what you do, you don't want to network. Because what are you going to say? That's true. Right? It's not fun. So what do you do? It's like, I don't want to talk about this. It's not fun. (laughs) I don't like my vice president job. I hate the people I work with and it's putting out not so good stuff. Oh, very good. Good meeting you, Kathy. (laughs) Right. I'll see you at the bar. But what's cool is when you have those sound bites, even if it's half a percent of what you do in this job, like I remember when I was laid off. I really thought I was a loser. Although a hundred people were laid off after 9-11. Why did I internalize it? But it took me a few years, but then I went, wait a minute, I did some great things there. And then you really pull them out and you do weave them into the story about what you love to do, what makes you proud. So that's that. Yeah. Well, so I'd love to dig a little deeper even. So when it comes to your special talents, abilities, and accomplishments, one of the tricky, funny things about strengths is that to you, they may just seem normal. But to outsiders, they're like, wow, you did this? And it was like, well, it wasn't that hard. I just did the, and then, hey, it was all done. So it's a great exercise with that reflection in that hour and, and the facts. How else do you recommend we surface that, hey, this is a pretty special thing about me? Love it. Love the question. Ask people. So I'm a big fan of giving recommendations on LinkedIn, but also asking. The first time you ask, you cough up a hairball. It's like, I don't want to. But then you get good at asking. And what people write back will blow you away. It won't be what you think they loved about you. Like this job that, you know, I keep talking about that was the death of me almost. I thought I was a lousy leader because I was getting my tush kicked constantly. I I was not inspiring. And, And that's hard when you hate who you've become. On LinkedIn, somebody wrote me, a young woman, she wrote, I was not in Kathy's department, but she was always something like, you can read it. It was the first one I got. I'm there. Something like she was always inspiring and someone who always seemed calm and whatever. Someone I emulated or wanted to emulate. I swear to you, I cried when I saw them. It was a healing statement because I thought I was just the worst. So people are going to tell you things you don't know with language that you would never use. So ask for recommendations, not randomly. Pick the 10 people you know who love you in the past five years or 10 years of working and ask. The other thing is ask your family and friends, the really good friends who don't just whitewash it. They'll tell you, you know what, Pete? Like I, I have to say, even your prep work for this shows me a lot about you. You want to know what it shows? Hoping not that I'm anal. All right. Well, I wasn't going to say that. No, it shows, this is, I'm making this up. I didn't think of this before. It shows how much you care about 
how good this is and how good your guest looks. You don't want them to look bad. You don't want them to sound bad. It's not just about you. I see it. Also, you ask some really interesting things here that other people don't ask. You know, I do a lot of podcasts myself and I'm on a lot. You wouldn't believe how many people just show up and haven't looked at the material and don't know where to go. It says so much about you, about the level of work you do. Well, thank you. You're right. That feels great. <laughs> Does that seem right? Well, it's true. I mean, I care a boatload, you know, sometimes too much. It's like I'm thinking about the podcast when I'm with my kids. It's like, yeah, I gotta, I'm trying to, you know, turn, gotta turn that off. And I dream about my Forbes blog, like writing it. I'm like, I wake up and go, really? You didn't need to do that at three in the morning. And it, what do you, it's terrible what you're dreaming to write. Anyway, so ask people. If I may, well, Kathy, I, I just couldn't resist. So I, uh, I went on your LinkedIn and it, I'm looking at your first recommendation and it, I'll go ahead and read it. It is awesome. Read it. Who is it? It's, it's Rika. That's who it is. While I was not in Kathy's group, she served as an example of how a professional woman should be in a corporate environment. Kathy was one of several female executives that I looked up to and on occasion would offer mentorship during my career. I'll just skip the name. I don't know. Uh, to me, that kind of impression left on an up and coming professional in the marketing world speaks volumes about the caliber of work and motivation that a woman like Kathy leaves behind. What year was that, Pete? That's 2008. I mean, I still get choked up because it healed me to read it. Yeah, it's it's beautiful, and and I love, and it's so powerful. What you're sharing here is that you know, as you say, you asked, and it was uncomfortable at first, but then you got good, and then, and sure enough, you got 61 recommendations, which is in the ballpark of the most I've ever seen, which leaves a huge impression, and is something you can look back to if you're feeling bummed, you know, on a given day. It's true. It makes anyone who's you know checking you out be like. Oh, wow. Okay. Thank you, Pete. Nobody's ever read that to me. See, that's so interesting. But a lot of people go, do we really need those? Why do we need those? People. If someone can write something about you that's lasting as long as LinkedIn's going to be around, why wouldn't you want that? Well, and I'll tell you this, candidly, people are making decisions about you and opportunities all the time. Sometimes we, most of the time, actually, these days, we proactively seek out guests who match a listener request. You know, like their expertise matches what someone needs. But yours came from a publicist, and that's the minority of, of guests these days. And so, you know, my team checks them out, including LinkedIn. And so there it is. The fact that you're here means you're leaving great impressions. I passed. Well, that's nice to know. Because you're doing what you need to do to make sure that those special talents, abilities, and accomplishments are shining through and, and, and not hidden and invisible. Right. Thank you for that. You know, one final thing about that, now that I'm doing a lot more speaking, even virtually, if someone says, holy cow, that was fantastic, I do ask them to write a speaker recommendation because they're going to say it's fantastic for a re completely different reason from this bank or PayPal. So, yes, ask for them. All right. So, so that's beautiful. We're just still in the first gap. <laughs> so there's a lot of richness here. <laughs> do we have seven hours? <laughs> So we're doing the, the 20 facts, some, some reflection time in solo, and then you were asking people, and sometimes those asks can be in a public place, like a LinkedIn recommendation. Any other pro tips on identifying your strengths that may be hidden to you? Well, I love your point that what comes easily to us, we don't recognize. So go back and connect the dots of who you always were 
that you let go of. So for me, when I was 16 to 20, I was a competitive tennis player, went to the States in New York. I was a singer. I loved to be on stage. I loved to use the voice. I was intensely interested in psychology. Why do people do what they do? You know, to the point where my dad was like, oh, here she goes with trying to figure out why mom did that or whatever. Number four, I didn't understand this, but I had a therapeutic ear. So people would call me, young people, my friends, my peers, guys would say, can I come talk to you? Yeah, what about? Well, I really like Sally and she doesn't like me. I can't tell you how many times people would want to talk to me about that. And I'd say to my mom, why are they calling me? I'm 16 or 18. And I loved ideas. I loved books. My mom used to read literally a book a week. And when I was bored, she'd say, read a book. And I would. When I look back, it's every one of those things that makes me love what I do today. But in 18 years of corporate life, none of that was being used. So look at who you were now. A lot of people say, well, at 16, I was miserable. I was depressed. My parents were getting divorced. I didn't know who I was. Okay. I don't mean literally 16. For me, 16 to 20 did it. It's who I was and then I lost it. But look at when you were really rocking it, you know, as far as you can remember. What were those things that people said, oh, Wow. Like, you know, the standing on stage, I think that's number two in the most stress-inducing thing after losing a spouse to most people. So if you love it, people are going to say, I can't believe you love to do that, or you love to write, or you love to flip or horseback ride or whatever it is. Look back on those things, because it's usually the things that came so easily to you, you don't see that it's a strength. And then connect the dots and leverage that. That's great. That's great. Well, well, let's let's talk about the second one here, communicating from fear and not strength and saying, hey, oh, I don't know if this is any good. And I guess there's a limited context where that is helpful in the sense that you don't want to overpower or shut down free discussion in a group and you want to explore variants of diverse opinions. But it sounds like in your experience, hey, the vast majority of the time, it's just the opposite. If you've got folks who are sort of undervaluing, under emphasizing, underselling what they have to communicate. So how do you address that one? Well, I, I want to say this because it's really important. I interviewed the behavioral science guys, Joseph Grenny and David Maxfield in my Forbes blog. And the article, look it up, it was gender bias is real. And what they did was take a video enactment of an actress, now we call them female actor, and a male actor saying the same exact thing, and it was forceful. They were in a meeting at a table, and they said, I don't agree with the direction the team is going here. Audiences, both male and female, when they look at the woman saying that, her perceived competency and literal dollar value dropped exponentially. His dropped a little, so apparently we don't like forceful people, period, but hers plummeted. So what we have to understand here is we women have been trained not to speak powerfully. If you ask the women in your life, I'm an assertive person. I have been a powerful person in the corporate world. I've been called, a can't say it here, a biatch. I talk about in the book, I had a, a senior vice president call me a buzzsaw. He goes, you're a buzzsaw. And I said, I'm speechless. Is that good or is that bad? He goes, that's good. Do you mean I'm able to cut through large pieces of wood easily? <laughs> you get it done and where no one else does. The thing is, would he ever have called a man a buzzsaw? No. 
I've never heard him use that word. And I don't want to be a buzzsaw, but what I found is because I was suppressed as a child, meaning I felt, and this is a fun story, but I felt like I had to be obedient for my mom and brilliant for my dad. I grew up Greek mom. You don't challenge your Greek mom. And, you know, she came from a, an upbringing where you speak only when spoken to and you don't challenge authority. So I could not speak up. Thus the, you know, chronic infection of my throat. When you come from that, when you're trained that you're going to be punished and forceful women are punished. And it's just the way it is. We're penalized. I mean, it's still... Today, I'm 60 years old and I still deal with when I say very clearly, when I push back, whether it's on my publisher or my, anybody, this is what I need. This is what I'm asking for. You can sense that they think what a, not my publisher per se, but it's just not accepted yet. So the first thing I ask women to do is just watch yourself in the way you speak for the next week. Now, I do want to say this. Being strong doesn't mean harsh, mean, abusive, critical. It means strong. It means, hey, this is my view. This is what I'm thinking. And in fact, the behavioral science guys, they did research on what statement can you put before a forceful statement that's going to mitigate the backlash? Brilliant. And the one that worked the best is if you put a value statement before. So in this case that I'm going to say, listen, people, I, and I'm on a board of a small singing group. I have to say this all the time that we don't agree with each other at all, ideologically or otherwise, half the time. They say, put the value statement. So it might be something like, hey, folks, I really value honesty and transparency. And that is why I have to share that I don't agree with the direction we're going. And what happens is- That's so good. Isn't that good? And part of it is human beings are fragile. If you bring up something, Pete, and I go, can I tell you, I don't agree with that at all. You know, you're going to be like, oh, okay. But if I say, wow, I think that's a really good point, And I'd love to build on that. I see it slightly differently. I mean, am I backpedaling it? Am I making myself weaker? I don't think so. I think I'm helping you hear it. What do you think? Well, yeah, I think it's brilliant in, in that it's, you accomplish the goal of not getting people rankled right? Yeah. without less of what you want to say. So I, I think it's landing excellently. And so I, I'm sort of thinking, give us some more examples. I, I'm chewing on this real time. You got a value and then a statement. Okay, let's see. All right. So let me say this. So in this board meeting we were having, we're talking about, we're singers, so super spreaders. So we're talking about what we're going to do. And I won't reveal, but this is what I said. We made decisions and we have to present these decisions. And what I've always found, and whether this is to your spouse or your mother or your friend or your singing group, if you half bake an idea and present it, this is what we are putting forth as what we feel is the best decision. And we'd love to share it with you. You're going to get a heck of a lot more positive response and engagement than the board met. Here's what we're doing. Okay. So half-baked, not so much as you haven't thought it through, but we're inviting additional collaboration and input. Yes. And now somebody said, I love you to pieces, but no, we're the board and we're going to say what needs to be said. And in fact, if they don't agree, what are we going to do about it? We made the decision. I don't agree with that at all. 
When you're asking people to do things, like in this case, it's not what anyone wants. We want to sing together. Nobody wants to sing in a mask, and I believe in masks. So if you're going to slap them with some mandates, it's going to make them angry. Yes. So my view is, here's what, and, and we did this before. We made a big change, and I stood up there and said, here's why we're thinking of this. Here's what the research shows. Here's what, well, you know, not about COVID and masks, but something else. And we expected out of the 50 people, maybe five to 10 to be furious. Not one person was angry. Now, some people didn't like this change we made, but there wasn't that hysterical hysteria you get when you're slapping someone with something. So I feel like where you can make it so that it can be a dialogue and that you can, I think part of why people don't like this is they don't want to hear the feedback. They don't want to have to deal. But if, if you're a leader and you want to move something forward now, I'm not saying that every, you know, president who's closing their offices for another three months is going to say, you know, they don't, they don't invite a lot of feedback, but wherever you can, wherever there, there can be an open engagement of ideas, it's better than the mandate, if you ask me. Oh, certainly. But, and even if you're making a, this is the decision and this is what holds, I mean, get that input in advance is great, both so you make a better decision and, and that people feel included. So even if you did a survey in terms of like, hey, yeah, to what extent are you interested in returning to the office versus are you thinking, hey, working from home is awesome? You know, kind of collecting that is good to know and, you know, makes people feel heard and can influence some great stuff in terms of, all right, well, hey, you know what? There's... um I don't know if it's a walk-up office, you know, you could have a limited number of spots available for those who really want it. And then uh, like you sign up on the system and they say, okay, that's cool. You know, thanks. Thanks for thinking about me there. But it would be nice to get away from the kids, <laughs> you know, here and there. And that's a possibility. So I dig it. So the point is be strong, be confident, but that doesn't mean abrasive, aggressive. This is what it's going to be. One more tip. I want women and men to watch how much they apologize. So the studies show women apologize. I don't even have the number in front of me exponentially more. They say the words, I'm sorry. And my son, who's now working right in the bedroom over there says, oh, mom, that's just like an idiom. It doesn't matter. It does matter. And I say it so much. Here's an example. You're in a line and someone cuts that line. How many people say women, I'm sorry, there's a line here. You're not sorry. You're angry. Don't say the word sorry. Say, excuse me, or, oh, I need to tell you there's a line here. Watch the words that come out. Right. And, you know, I, I've thought about this in terms of, <laughs> I think it was years ago. Yeah, I, I remember I was headed somewhere and I was with my girlfriend in the car and I was driving and I don't remember the specific context, but she was going to send a message to somebody that we're meeting. And she started by saying, hey, sorry, something, something, something. And I said, could we remove the sorry? <laughs> and she said, what, why? And I was like, well, I mean, I, I don't think we've actually done anything wrong. We haven't made a commitment that we're falling short of. Interesting, interesting. You know, it would be an unjustified expectation for them to have that we do, the, you know, and it was, and she, and she was so surprised. And she was probably thinking, for goodness sake, just say you're sorry already. Because I guess I just really like my words to have integrity, to be true, to be complete. When I say I'm sorry, to to mean it in terms of like, I, 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 I say I'm sorry all the time, you know, but in terms of it's like, you know what? 
uh, I did something that I shouldn't have done, or I didn't do something that I should have done, or I didn't even consider that perspective of yours, and I and I really should have. That was inconsiderate. So that's sort of how I view sorry, and I, I guess in a way there's a there's a balancing act. You don't want to be stubborn or rigid or or narcissistic where you can't say you're sorry. But you said a key thing, Pete. You think of every word. You want it to be what you mean. And, you know, those of us in the media or, you know, when you write, I don't even ever fire off an email ever. I don't care how short it is. I look at it and I read it again. And I'm always editing. I didn't mean I'm sorry. I didn't mean thank you when I don't mean thank you. Because your words are powerful. And if you weaken them because you're saying what you don't mean, it's going to weaken your whole impact. Well, Kathy, tell me anything else you want to make sure to mention before we shift gears and hear about a few of your favorite things. Can I suggest and ask that anybody listening take my Power Gap survey? Oh, sure. And if you're like 98%, you're going to have one of these gaps at least and do something about it. You know, I have a free seven-day Power Boost Challenge. Woo, wordy. A workbook. If you want to give it away, I'm happy to. And it's a condensed version of the book where you can look at what can I say to myself differently? What can I literally do differently in the external world and a positive reframe? How do I look at this challenge differently so I embrace it more fully? Well, yeah, that sounds great. And, and, and how do folks get that? Certainly, if you buy my book, you can get it. But I am putting up a page where people can just add their name and get it. Cool. All right. Well, now can you share a favorite quote? Something you find inspiring? It's Madeline Albright. And let me get it right. She says, It took me a long time to develop a voice. And now that I have it, I'm not going to be silent. All right. And how about a favorite study or experiment or bit of research? Okay. I don't mean to sound it's all about me, but it is the Power Gap survey because it showed me the incredible epidemic proportions of powerlessness that so many women have. And a favorite book? It's Man's Search for Meaning, Viktor Frankl. Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. It's so powerful. It is. It is. I try to read it every year and remember... Yeah. And I found it helpful, actually, with COVID. I'm really? In that, I mean, in some ways, I feel, not to be melodramatic, but, you know, a, a bit imprisoned, constrained. Many of the things I would like to do, I could not do. But then to look at what the man went through and um, and survived and found, you know, meaning and value and enrichment for others from it, it's like, it, it just it puts things in perspective. Yes. And the idea that you can choose, the one thing you can choose is how you're going to respond. That's all you can choose. So great. Amen. And how about a favorite tool, something you used to be awesome at your job? You know, this may sound boring, but I've just recently used Slack, found Slack with my team. I adore it. I have a small team, team of four, but I feel like we're in the fabric of each other's lives that way. And it's, to me, so much better than email or text. I adore it. Okay. And uh, a favorite habit? This is a little bit of a spiritual thing, but I do believe we have a higher self that knows more, that's more connected to everything, to wisdom. And my favorite habit is every morning, literally. I have a little candle here, fake candle, but I love it. And I will look at it and think, I will say this to myself, what is it that I need to learn today? And what is it that I need to let go of? And I listen. And usually there's a big nugget of truth there. Lovely. I was just about to ask you for a big nugget of truth. Is there something you share that uh, people frequently quote back to you or retweet or highlight in your books? It's something around this. We are all like our thumbprint, absolutely unique. And there is so much specialness in that uniqueness. 
And so what I'm really begging people to do is love themselves enough to see that specialness and bring it forward, talk about it more, use it more, leverage it more. Because the truth is the world needs it. If you can't do it for yourself, do it for the world because look at what we're in here. We're in a tough time. So we need your special talents, abilities, and gifts. And do not for a minute think you're not great. And just look at your thumb and in your thumbprint and remember that's how special you are. Now's the time to use that in service. Lovely. If folks want to learn more or get in touch, where would you point them? KathyCaprino.com, FindingBrave.org is my podcast. And you can find the most powerful you anywhere you love to buy books, audio, hardcover, wherever you'd like. Beautiful. Well, Kathy, this has been a treat. Uh, I wish you all the best. Thank you, Pete. Thanks so much for having me and your really thoughtful questions. I so appreciate it. I really liked what Kathy had to say in so many ways. And and I think one of the most impactful parts for me was just looking at all of those LinkedIn recommendations and how super legit Kathy looks. And she is. I mean, she's brilliant and smart and has a lot to offer. And and as is the case with, with all of our guests. But now everyone can see it. <laughs> we can see it very easily and very clearly. That's good. So, so that struck me because I was actually looking at that real time. And it, it's about more than I've ever tend to see with somebody. And it really does make an impression, uh, both for the outside world and for yourself. If you're feeling low, you're feeling down, self-doubt, imposter syndrome, sneaking up, you can go reference those. And and it's powerful. It's emotional. And so I dug that. If you weren't getting that visual experience, well, you can, you know, add her on LinkedIn and get it. But I would just reinforce that piece to ask for those recommendations. It could be quite influential. Again, the show notes, the transcript, the links to albums we've referenced are at awesomeatyourjob.com slash EP604. And if you haven't already, I recommend you push subscribe to catch our next guest. It's Chris McChesney. Tell you what, everybody I've ever interviewed from Franklin Covey is brilliant, and Chris is no exception. He's talking about execution, the stuff that doesn't quite seem to get done, how to get it done. Looking forward to catching you there. And peace. Thanks for listening. To get the most out of the show, we recommend two key things. First, check out the extra resources at awesomeatyourjob.com. You can find this episode's transcript and links, as well as the perfect episode for your situation. You can search the full text transcripts of hundreds of episodes or explore episodes tagged by topic and competency covered. Second, subscribe to the podcast and get future episodes automatically. You can subscribe by telling Siri and several other smartphones and speakers, subscribe to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast or by tapping subscribe in your podcast player of choice. If you'd like some extra help figuring out podcasts and how subscriptions work, visit awesomeatyourjob.com slash subscribe for guidance. Hope to catch you on the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job.